Uh, well, hello everyone. Today, uh, our guest is Professor Roli Verma from the University of New Mexico. Uh, she will be presenting us with the topic of uh, women in STEM. Uh, Professor Verma was born here in Montreal, graduated from Dawson College, and did, uh, received her undergraduate degree in political science at McGill University. Uh, and so, Professor Verma, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, could you give us a brief introduction uh, of yourself and uh, your research interests in particular, and why did you uh, choose those uh, research interests to pursue? Well, uh, you know, there are two ways to present myself. <laughs> so one is professional. Uh, I'm a Carl Hatch Endowed Professor in the School of Public Administration at, at the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque, US. And my terminal degree is in Science Technology Studies from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Prior to that, I earned two masters, one in same program from uh, same institution and other in political science from uh, SUNY, State University of New York at Albany. My bachelor is in political science from McGill University. Before that, Dawson, CJF, I was in health sciences, uh, Canada. And uh, second is somewhat, uh, you know, personal. Uh, I was born in a tiny village in uh, India and moved to a metropolitan city when I was two or three years old. Uh, but uh, I spent almost every summer in the village. And in 1975, I migrated to uh, Canada, Montreal, Canada. And in 1981, I moved to uh, US. And I say this because I have first-hand experience about village life, city life in India, being an immigrant in Canada and being immigrant in the US. So it's, and of course, you know, being a woman, woman of color. So that adds to, that is my introduction. Okay. Was the second part you asked about research interest or you yes, had? Yes. Okay, so my research is uh, driven by science technology issues. Um, I moved from a major in health sciences at Dawson College to political science and then to science technology studies. Uh, it is because I wanted to study political, economic and social issues arising uh, out of development of modern science and technology. I think I study, I believe, I study contemporary science and technology issues I think they have national and international uh, implications. I take a multidisciplinary uh, approach, which means uh, I draw from multiple disciplines. I do my own field work. Uh, I collect my own data. And uh, so I have done multiple things, uh, you know, within the broad umbrella of science technology. Uh, I have multiple sub-themes, uh, and I'm going to mention two uh, here, and then I'm going to tie it. Uh, so first one is, uh, you know, both are pertaining to educational and workforce diversity. So first one is uh, immigration of Asians. You know, I focus on immigrants. And uh, I think, you know, if you look at uh, United States, uh, their immigration has been really significant in terms of numbers, and not only in the U.S. Uh, elsewhere, and a uh, lot more. I mean, since 1965, but a lot more since 1990s. 
and uh, there is not much known uh, about their ro uh, role and issue they face as uh, international students or as foreign workers. So I, you know, I'm really interested in finding out how Asian immigrants have been making inroads in uh, traditionally uh, white uh, male-dominated science and engineering uh, professions. Now, uh, other area is uh, has been representation of women and minorities in information technology, uh, education, and workforce. Now, if you look at uh, uh, IT, there has been rapid growth, and it has impact on productivity, uh, uh, on national economy, and there are all sorts of career opportunities in IT have come about. But women and minorities continue to be underrepresented in IT education and workforce. So gender and you know uh, ethnic equity uh, in IT is uh, critical not only for women and minorities, but also for um, whole economy. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so I like to study that. And I have also compared, uh, you know, women in IT in uh, US and in India, you know, where uh, women are overrepresented in IT education. Um, and then coming to, before we go on to the topic of IT specifically, I want to touch a bit more on STEM in general. Uh, so according to the US uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, the definition of STEM can vary depending on who is using that. So what is your definition of STEM and how does that uh, affect your research in particular? Okay, so I prefer uh, uh, to stick with the word science and engineering um, rather than uh, STEM. Uh, it has to do a lot more with, because I'm not sure how, how to deal with T, technology. Um, and um, um, it's just a little bit, uh, you know, tricky because there is no degree in technology. Okay. Okay. You know, you do science, engineering, math. So I'll stick with science and engineering. Um, I don't have any specific definition. Um, I actually, I never thought about it until uh, you asked. Uh, I think science and engineering, they are taken for granted. You know, we know um, life sciences, physical sciences, engineering, mathematics, computer science, social sciences. These are all science and engineering uh, fields. And we know if we talk about arts, humanities, literature, maybe management, they may not like that. But uh, they are considered non-science and engineering fields. Uh, so it is somewhat easy to identify science and engineering when you are studying. You know, th these things are already decided for you. You know, you take biology, you take chemistry, you take mathematics. Uh, th these are already decided. Um, and it becomes a little bit trickier when you count who is a scientist, who is a mathematician, who is an engineer. Uh, should you use their knowledge? Should you use their experience? Should you use their skill? Should you use their job title uh, or should you use their degree you know uh, and uh, you know you you have to rely on numbers and uh, you have to rely on official numbers uh, in my view 
And so we can look at like, where do these numbers coming from? And uh, at least in this country, uh, you know, Census Bureau uh, is one source. And uh, basically uh, US Census Bureau, what they do, they uh, classify uh, people based on some sort of a standard uh, occupational uh, classification. And uh, when you look at, you know, federal US federal occupational uh, data, what they use, uh, they classify workers based on the jobs they, they are performing. And if you look at Bureau of Labor Statistics, they are going to classify people based on what employers are, uh, how employers are classifying. So depending on what source you are using, your numbers are going to vary. Uh, I tend to use, uh, just to be on the safe side, National Science Foundation data, um, uh, because I think they give information on both degrees and occupations. Uh, further, they classify workers in, uh, I think, um, three categories. Uh, uh, people belonging to science and engineering occupations, people belonging to science and engineering related occupations, and people belonging to non-science and engineering related occupations. So I find that to be very handy Perfect. for me. So I just use that. I, I don't know what definition to you. Yeah, perfect. No, it makes sense. Makes sense because uh, it's very a uh, very um vague. Uh, any definition is pretty vague uh, in terms of uh, research. We have to define it, and uh, so. Um... So, professor, according to the National Science Foundation, specifically for um, science and engineering bachelor's degrees, men were awarded roughly three hundred and eighteen thousand bachelor degrees um, in 2014. And in the same year, women were awarded 317,000 degrees, roughly. The number seems to be roughly equal. But how do these numbers actually translate into the STEM workplace? Oh, well, um... I think numbers you will find, uh, even though uh, you you know you are talking 2014, even if you look at latest, uh, numbers will be more or less equal. You know, I mean, difference is insignificant. Uh, I think if you define science and engineering workforce based on science and engineering occupation uh, uh, in the United States, you will get number to be close to seven million between six and seven million. Uh, if you define based on uh, people holding science and engineering degrees, I think you will get number close to 23 million. Uh, and if you define science and uh, engineering workforce by expertise used in the job, I think number will be around 18 to 19 million. Uh, these are NSF. Num numbers, I am not exactly sure precise, but they're close to uh, this thing. So basically what it is telling that not all science and engineering uh, degree holders work in jobs which are designated as uh, science and engineering occupations. Second thing it 
hospitals, though people are not employed in job uh, classified as science and engineering occupation, but their jobs do require expertise in science and engineering, even though they may not be working uh, you know, as science and, as a scientist or engineers. And in other words, science and engineering knowledge and skills are quite widespread. They are just not limited to uh, jobs classified as science and engineering. Okay, Does that answer your question? Um, what I was trying to get at more is that um, like both men and women are fairly equally represented in the number of bachelor degrees that they hold, right? But um, people still talk about a gender inequality in the STEM workplace. So why does this exist? Yeah, um, I think there are um, multiple reasons and we will come back to that. But in terms of we look at uh, numbers, which you, you, know, you gave me, um, women, I think, uh, make make around twenty eight percent of science and engineering workforce. So th there is a gap, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, they, they are almost. I think there are almost forty percent of employed individuals whose degree is in the science and engineering field. But when it comes to science and engineering occupation, they are around 28%. Okay, so in other words, it gets you know tricky. Like they may not be in those occupations, that doesn't mean they you don't use that knowledge which they have uh, acquired. And now, why that is the case, I uh, you know we can just go over and over. Yeah, uh, understood. So I guess there was uh, really just a people holding the degrees and also might go into jobs that require the knowledge in science and engineering, but that's not necessarily qualify as a science or engineering job. Uh, am I correct? Okay, perfect. Uh, then come back more to the statistics side of it. Um, so according to the same source, so National Science Foundation, NSF, um, in 2014, only uh, around 10,000 degrees in computer science degrees were awarded to women, uh, while around uh, 45,000 computer science degrees were awarded to men. Um, so however, in the same year, women were awarded uh, around 64,000 degrees in biological sciences, while men were only awarded uh, uh, 44,000 degrees in biological sciences. So um, what explains this uh, disparity in women's choice of degrees? Uh, so um, since women are going less into computer science, wouldn't that uh, already explained the disparity in uh, IT jobs for women? Well, you know, numbers which you are showing, uh, basically it tells that men and women prefer different fields of study, right? Yes. Men earn more majority of degrees in engineering, computer science, physics, and mathematics. And women earn... Um, women are in psychology, biology, I think agricultural sciences and social sciences. So when you look at uh, in terms of occupation, uh, women make 60% of social scientists. 
uh, I think uh, almost 50% or little less than 50% of uh, life scientists. But when it comes to uh, physical uh, scientists, they are only 28%. And when it comes to uh, computer science, I think it's also 28, 26 to 28%. Uh, and engineering is really bad, only 15%. Uh, so question uh, you are asking why this is the case and it relate to earlier question, uh, you know, which was being asked why this is the case. I think you have to look at how women came to join science and engineering. Uh, there, there was a very famous quote. I was, you know, I was looking, uh, recently I wrote a paper, so I remember this thing. Uh, it is by historian Margaret uh, Roster. Uh, of Cornell University, and uh, the, she was writing something in 1969. I mean, it's, it is widely quoted. And uh, she asked a question, uh, were there ever women scientists? And she was told, no, never, none. And she, you know, so if you look at like before World War II, very few women had received bachelor's degree in science or engineering. And if they did, they went to all women's college. And further, you know, such opportunities were only available to women who came from a white family and very rich family who could kind of afford. Now things change after World War II, uh, uh, especially because there was so much growth in science and engineering. Uh, you know, you have computers coming, microwaves coming, penciling coming, radar coming, uh, satellite, and host of civilian technology. So suddenly, you know, science and engineering, which no one paid attention to, and it became, uh, you know, it's a new image, you know, it became so important. But then also after World War II, something happened, in my view, which is Soviet Union, uh, they launched Sputnik. And as soon as they do, I, th I think it is 1957, uh, sometime in October. And as soon uh, uh, this happened, uh, US, you know, which is emerging as a superpower, uh, was already a superpower after World War II because yes. it was the gap was created. And uh, they felt that, oh, we are weak. How could we be weak? And that is especially compared to Soviet Union. And uh, so uh, US government started pouring money into uh, you know, science education uh, on very, very large scale. They have been pouring money, but uh, you know, it just became, too, uh, you know, it was just became so huge. So uh, there was a, some sort of an act, National Defense, Education Act, I think, which came soon after Sputnik. And uh, they focused on uh, education in mathematics, science, and foreign language. You know, it, it was very, very important. Uh, and uh, that opened door for uh, women to study uh, science and engineering. And then you have women's movement, and they started encouraging uh, uh, more girls and women to go in science and engineering. So, you know, wonderful thing was created. So health sciences were obvious choice for women since they were seen as a caretaker before that. They were not studying, they were caretaker. 
and they were needed as doctors, they were needed as nurses for women's healthcare issues as well as childbirth. So what I'm seeing that field choices are based on multiple factors. But in my view, most important one is what society has historically created, what is good for women. And many women have broken that path. That is why we see women in multiple other fields, even though numbers are not there, what we would like to see, but they are there. So it only says we have a long way to go. Okay, understood. But um, so do you think that a disparity in computer science degrees, uh, just talking about degrees, not talking about jobs here, um, is due to the society's past historical context, whether uh, other than uh, right now, we would say, uh, according to, uh, again, from the same source, we can see pretty um, pretty much gender equality in terms of science and engineering degrees. Um, do you think that the, the choice in computer science degrees due to women's uh, own, own evolution of choosing, or do you think it's the society's historical context? Okay, so I am going to uh, cite a study to answer this question, I think it would be a little easier. I think there is a uh, there is a book published by uh, uh, I believe Computer Boys Take Over. I think that's the title of the book. I think it is by a historian Nathan Ensmenger. Uh, 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 I hope I'm not mispronouncing his uh, name. So uh, it, till 1960s, you know, after World War II, uh, computing was seen as a natural choice for women, um, uh, especially for, you know, uh, young women. And uh, I think he cites a magazine, Cosmopolitan magazine, uh, which was promoting that, uh, encouraging people writing an article that women should pursue degree in uh, computing. But more, you know, more interesting example is uh, in, in 1940s when uh, uh, women were hired. I think there were six women which were hired uh, for uh, to run uh, ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C machine, which is considered uh, world's first electronic computer. And these six women were known as Inya girls. Um, uh, and they were hired because women were typists. They were telephone operators. They were, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, they were just uh, clerks. And so it, it was assumed that this is a very low level position, computing. And this is a natural progression for women if they're typing and uh, taking a phone call and plugging things, they can go on uh, and continue to do that. And at that point, uh, hardware, according to him, hardware was like, you know, machines are men's area. And they thought that uh, that's where men should be. That is more brainy thing to do, more challenging. And, but what they didn't know that software will take over hardware. So as soon as that happened, um, I, I mean, at that point, you know, when you say uh, India girls, you, you're not talking about geeks at all. You know, that was not, that's not, you know, computer girl, computing coding. 
uh, you know, so computer hardware were, uh, you know, reserved for men and computing software was reserved for women. And now what you see, it has changed. Uh, so when, uh, you know, when uh, software was considered less important, less masculine, it was for women. When software became more important than hardware, then suddenly you have a shift uh, that software is in men's domain. And suddenly you see emergence of uh, uh, geek culture. You know, this is for men's, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's not, you know, it, it requires a lot more mathematical mind. It is a lot more brainy. It is the job. So suddenly that shift has been created by society. Um, we, uh, you know, we did not know, um, uh, you know, when, uh, when we, when we were not living in computer era, women were in computing. As soon as we started living in computer era, it was taken by men and women are not in that field. Okay. Wouldn't you? Okay. You know, so it's like almost like conspiracy done by men that uh, because they wanted to make a shift from uh, hardware to software. Okay, so so you think it's uh, the society's historical context that influences the disparity in computer science degrees? Uh, that's what I think. Yeah, okay, understood. Uh, then I'll give it to me and Jessica. Yeah, okay. So our next question is, um, what is the glass ceiling? And um, how much of it is systemic and how much of it is simply biological or based on self-interest? Well, you know, glass ceiling uh, refers to artificial ideological barriers that stop qualified women from advancing to high-level position, mostly administrative position or senior position in public and private organization. And these barriers are considered uh, artificials because they have little to do with education, skills, uh, qualification, and competence. But nonetheless, they do abstract uh, qualified women from uh, going to the next level. Now, the reason it is called glass, because things are so transparent. You can see that they can climb. You, you know, it's visible. And also, I think it is called glass because it is a glass so you can break it. You can shatter and you can, uh, uh, you can be bruised in that process, but you break it and you can climb. So I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, what I find uh, interesting about glass ceiling, that uh, this is the term which was, which came, which became popular in the US after an article which was by Wall Street Journal, you know, in my view, which is a conservative kind of, you know, money-minded journal. And uh, they talked about describing invisible barriers that women confront as they, uh, they want to uh, climb a corporate hierarchy. So after that article uh, uh, in, uh, in 1990, 91, uh, 92, around that time, 
uh, there was a commission uh, was created, Federal Glass Ceiling Commission. And idea was they will do two things. They will identify uh, glass ceiling kind of barriers which women face and other minorities face. And they will also find out uh, successful practices or activities uh, which will deal with uh, these, you know, barriers. You know, there are many terms related to glass ceilings have come uh, uh, pertaining to different people. Um, you know, kind of uh, Asian, you may, people may say, oh, they are facing bamboo ceiling, etc. So, they, you know, for minorities, uh, multiple things are there. Um, okay, so second part is uh, whether it has to, uh, it is uh, 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 biological or whether it is based on self-interest or whether uh, it is uh, systemic, right? That's yeah, right. so to illustrate the, the point a bit better, so according to British philosopher and scholar Helena Cornyn, uh, I think she was writing a I think it was a scientific journal, I, I'm not sure, I forgot. So she used the phrase more dumbbells burn more nobles to describe the fact that uh, there is greater variation in male traits, uh, thus leading them to occupy more positions at the top as well as uh, more, po more positions at the bottom. So for instance, if we uh, illustrate this using IQ, it will be um, more men will be at the, at be very smart as well as very uh, so stupid while um, female traits tend to cluster around the average and therefore there must be necessarily fewer uh, women both at the top and at the bottom. So um, again, she uh, here, here she is uh, illustrating this point um, from uh, what Darwin first proposed when he was writing The Origin of the Species. So how do you think, uh, how true is this the case of uh, variance based just biologically in terms of STEM workplace and how true is this, um, yeah, just in the corporate world in general? Okay, uh, so I don't know um, um, about her. Um, I have not read her work. I, actually, I don't pay much attention to uh, uh, kind of biologists. You know, people who link biology and human behavior, I don't pay much attention. I like Darwin uh, only uh, when it comes to uh, 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 his theory about uh, uh, evolution, that we came from monkeys. <laughs> I, I, but other than that, uh, going beyond that, I, I, you know, I don't. So I don't know much about it. So, um, what I could say, uh, whether biology determines human behavior, you know, it's very old concept. Earlier, uh, we didn't have science, we didn't have scientific reasoning, but people, uh, you know, uh, there are differences uh, between men and women, and uh, they are because of biological differences. Uh, and basically, uh, what it says that women are not really capable of doing science and uh, engineering. So in uh, Europe, a uh, long time ago, uh, you know, in Middle Ages, um, how do you know people are 
who is more intellectual and you know brain that's so they would measure size of brain but how do you measure size of brain well okay let's look at who is wearing larger hat so if you wear extra extra large you are more intelligent and women you know were not wearing that kind of large hat so they were less uh, um, uh, uh, intelligent and also you know uh, now what, what has happened uh, that uh, you know we what we have is we use more sophisticated argument you know, but bottom line, we just say that it is not in them. Now, the, my problem is I don't pay attention to this thing because biology, you are stuck. Nothing, you can't do anything. If it is biology, I mean, what can I do? It is in me. You know, if it is a social environment, uh, inside, outside, we can change. If it is socialization, we can change. If it is training, we can change. But what do you do with biology? So it doesn't interest me, uh, you know, biological arguments. I think they are old arguments. Uh, they uh, Here and there, they do come. Uh, I think they are, they are not as explicit now, uh, but they are implicit that only certain people can do uh, science. There was a comment made by Harvard uh, University uh, president um, and uh, that women don't have in them, you know, to do mathematics. Well, he had to leave. He was no longer president of Harvard. Uh, but, you know, these comments are not that crude. Uh, they are done they are conveyed in a little bit more sophisticated way at this point. Uh, but they, you know, they're futile because you, you know, you are just saying one group of people, which is half of the uh, population of the world, they can't make any changes. I think you misunderstood my point here. My point is not making an argument. My point is just, uh... yeah, yeah, no, no, not you. I, I, this is study which you were yeah, yeah um yeah okay I, I see I see I'm just trying to um try to try, try to sort of assess the impact of, of biological differences uh, we have to realize our biological differences so I'm just trying to assess the impact of biological differences in terms of uh, work uh, workplace equality and what we can do about it um so that was my question that no, biological differences, uh, whether they lead to uh, human behavior, that I'm not sure. I, I mean, I am sure there is no, uh, there are differences, but they don't lead to biology does not determine. Okay, yeah. Human behavior. That mm -hmm. is the argument which she's trying to be making. In, um, uh, uh, what was the name you said? Um, Ms. Uh, Helena Cornyn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that I find, you know, hard to take. Okay. Um, I'll pass it on to Ming or Jessica. Yeah, Ming, go ahead. So another example, um, sorry, we should clarify this first, I feel. Um, Helena Cronin, she said that there was males have a 
greater variety of behavior. How much do you think that is biological and how much do you think it's the way that um, the socialization of men? Sorry, main wrong question. Like she was just stating a point made by Darwin that like male animals gen- like biologically have more variance in their traits. Okay. So it seems like no. The... Uh, if you historically, if you look at men, were not were allowed to go out. They were allowed to go and study. You know, women were not. So who is going to have multiple skills, men or women? Women, if they are only staying at home, taking care of. Uh, their local uh, surrounding. Uh, you know, I think by I, I will take biological arguments after that restriction is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Then we, we can talk about. But at this point, that uh, does not exist, right? Women have not been given. So how can we conclude that it is because of biology? If you if you give if women have equal thing, then um, then maybe we can revisit bio, biological argument. Uh, but at this point, I I I don't know if there is. Uh, I'll go as far. I don't think there is a scientific basis to say that. You know, mm-hmm. but that condition is not there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Then again, not not trying to make an argument, just trying to assess the to just to trying to understand the issue more clearly. Uh, so so you said that um, if we take out the like the social barriers to women, which of course exist, w- which we have seen during the Middle Ages uh, leading up to the 20th, uh, 20th century, um, taking that out of context. So for instance, again, we're coming back to the, the question of degrees. Men and women seem to have received pretty much the same degrees in uh, science and engineering degrees. So considering that, don't, wouldn't you say that it's pretty equal, so now we can consider p- potentially the biological differences? Okay, so they, uh, then the question of fields, right? What it boils down to, they are going in some field and not in other fields. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's not that they are not going you know, they are not, they're, I don't know. I, I mean, um, I want to bring in my India example. Yes, of course, please. Um, um, where you see uh, fields, you know, where women are not going in, women are going in. I, 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 I think we can talk about why women choose certain fields and not choose other fields. Yes, yes, of but, course. But, you know that is not the same uh, that is not the same argument about uh, biology right mm-hmm. you know they they have degrees they you know they're almost equal uh, actually women might be getting more de- you know uh, more degrees but they are going in certain fields and uh, why that is the case um, maybe certain fields are they have opened their arms. They are more welcoming. Maybe certain fields don't op- 
open their uh, they don't welcome i mean look at uh, field of medicine which is very horrible it's very tough field you know you do work long hours if you take this by oh women are very gentle women are i mean caretaking argument is one but you know you just see blood you see all kinds of misery etc but that, that that is a very hard field and they they are there you can look at law profession it's very demanding profession and they are there so it, it's also possible that uh, these fields have done something which some other fields have not done right okay that would be my argument <laughs> yeah. um main or jessica any questions Yeah. Um I've also heard the argument that justifies like gender inequality in STEM as being that women become pregnant and that's why they have less experience and that's why they can't enter the field as much. What are your thoughts on this argument? Uh say it again. You have heard that a woman get uh um like There are people who say that the gender pay gap in STEM is because of women taking time off for maternal leave, but I was wondering what you thought about that argument and if there were any studies conducted which um compared men's pay to women's pay with the same number of years of experience, but where there still existed a pay gap. Okay. pay gap uh, you know there are uh, people who do, i i'm not a quantitative person um and but i do but i do know that people are very sophisticated when they make calculation they make multiple factors um uh, uh, constant when they are comparing uh, uh, people's salaries multiple things they will make it constant just to make sure that it is a proper comparison and they would see that that's where you will see that that pay gap uh, is everything equal and still there is a pay gap so there are multiple studies done on that that uh, uh, it's the same work is being performed uh, but you know uh, there was a woman uh, uh, i interviewed uh, some time ago and uh, uh, she gave a example of when she took a job she was told that uh, her salary has to be 5 dollars uh, below that other person's salary now 5 dollars don't make much difference but the question was that it cannot be at par to men i mean 5 dollar come on everyone can afford the difference is like annual salary if you are making uh, 500 and somebody is making 495 dollar that is not a big difference right but symbolically it was that you know you cannot be at par with this person Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what I'm saying is, when calculations are not really uh, naive, you know, they, they they are very sophisticated. They take multiple factors into consideration, 
uh, and uh, and you just say that you know gap is still you know uh, is still there. Uh, other argument uh, which you were asking uh, had to do with uh, uh, family and children. Children, that's what you were asking. Um, that problem is very serious. <laughs> that uh, culture uh, in uh, science and engineering does not go well uh, with, you know, raising families if you want to do well um, and you have children you, you have uh, I mean they didn't ask to be there and they are there and they require a lot more attention than animals you know with after five minutes I mean they are walking look at uh, uh, and uh, so th that is uh, people talk about it but People have not done anything. Uh, so, for instance, look, you are not going to be spring chicken forever. It's as simple as that. And so when you are building your career, that is also the time when you can have your family. And there is no institutional support for that. I don't know why... Uh, um, like National Science Foundation, for instance, you know, they give money, they give all sorts of things. Why can't they give also money to women for childcare as a part of their grant? They don't do that. Why institutions, uh, they, why don't they provide daycare? You know, once I visited Google and I had very different image of Google because it's a private sector, et cetera. And I was shocked that uh, how friendly that environment was. It was like mind blowing to me. Uh, it didn't look like a private sector. It, you know, people could eat, people could play tennis, people can walk, people could sleep. They can have their all sorts of, uh, you know, recreational things. They can do laundry. Every single thing was available there. But you know what was the tough thing? Daycare. And what kind of daycare they had, um, it was, there was a long wait. I mean, I don't know if Google has changed since, because what I'm talking about seven, eight years ago, or maybe longer. Uh, so suddenly you realize that whole work environment was set up for single young male to work for Google in California. That's what it looked like. So I think they don't do this thing. You know, I mean, children, uh, child care is an issue. Why can't they set aside some money? Or uh, if they can't provide daycare, you know, why don't they do that? It's mind-boggling to me. You know, uh, I, I think giving two weeks or three weeks doesn't do any good. Yeah, okay. So... Um, so you, do you think that, um, daycare and child, uh, the issue of child rearing would be an issue facing women, uh, in, in IT degrees, uh, in IT fields, uh, in particular? Um, uh, IT becomes in many ways, a lot more interesting, uh, because you can, you know, work is flexible. 
you can work from depending on what kind of job you have so in that way i think it is a lot more friendly uh, uh for uh, you know family responsibilities because you know you can work from home i mean come on in during covid that's what we are doing right working from home um and and i think i think it is lot more in it that flexibilities in it than in uh, uh then sorry then just to back up a bit so uh, do you consider google as a it company or do you think it as a more other type of company well they it is noted as it company okay right? so, yeah but you you said that they don't provide very good daycare so um but you also said that at I, that point when at i that point, yes yes at that point so uh, so do you think with the covid situation or with uh, the change in sort of uh the workplace to the to, to home basically do you think that would help uh, women to gain more foot uh, foothold in um it fields or in stem fields you know uh okay uh i was only making a comparison um among uh science and engineering fields where i thought there was some sort of flexibility uh if you are in it in information technology okay, computer okay okay and that's the only comparison i was making now uh, i think there are multiple studies have come out in last year um and they suggest that because women are staying home their productivity has gone down especially in academia especially in terms of research because they are home they are also um have to look after their kids because kids are not in you know kids are also at home right mm-hmm. so automatically they become caretaker and they don't have that much time there are multiple studies that in terms of publication etc they are lower for women because of covid and staying home so uh, so my comparison saying home has to only do with uh when you are in uh when you compare different uh, science and engineering fields okay okay I, okay okay so i want to qualify that yeah i see um i'll leave that to me and jessica well it's very interesting cuz when you talk about childcare because i know that in iceland in order to kind of um reduce the pay gap what they did was they imposed um a paternity leave so fathers were allowed to uh, go on leave and take care of their children instead of only being women that were allowed and they saw that that really helped uh, bridge the pay gap um i don't know if you knew about this but i was just wondering if no, you had... uh, not in iceland but in europe uh, you know they do uh, uh, father or they 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 do one parent you know they um they give longer time period um uh, in you know in multiple european countries uh, they do that you know germany would be you will find that to be the case i just think uh, whosoever stays i think it you become behind anyway 
you know if you come come you know science technology science engineering they, they change very rapidly if you are one year at home one and a half year at home and you come back you will be catching up kind of average some may do very well but on an average i think you you end up being somewhat behind so my preference is for daycare you know kind of support than uh, leave mm-hmm. you know i mean it's not like a gardening job i can take the same pace i mean science has changed and i'm i'm outdated because i am not tuned with uh, with that for a whole year right Mm-hmm. So it will, uh, I think, impact will be a little bit different. Yeah. If I number, that would not be the case. Yeah. Oh well, I think since we're talking about your outside of your expertise, um, maybe we could come back a bit to more the corporate side and uh, the obstacles facing women. Uh, one which we'll talk about uh, brought up brought up by Ming was uh, parental leave and also maternal leave. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so uh, could you give us some other examples of uh, other obstacles facing women in the uh, science and engineering workplace? Um, well, uh, uh, there are always obstacles. Um, I uh, I think you learn to live with these. You know, you want to go to work. Uh, you don't want to say that it is a bad place because that's where you spend most of your time. I mean, if you if you look at your working eight hours, let's assume. Okay, when you are home, you are sleeping for six seven hours. Uh, you have little time when you watch TV and you are home, you are cooking and, you know, some uh, uh, other thing. So majority of your time is spent in your workplace. That's how you even uh, uh, identify yourself. And you don't want, you don't want to, you know, you kind of adjust. You don't want to say, oh, I'm going to go to this miserable place. You, you kind of adjust that uh, that this is a this is a welcoming place this is where i'm going to do my job quite nicely etc i think barriers uh, barriers they show up um, you go to work um, when time comes for uh, evaluation when time comes for resource distributions, uh, when time comes to uh, make accommodations. For instance, uh, would you make uh, uh, meetings three o'clock or would you make meetings around uh, noon time? Three o'clock, people have to go and pick their kids. Okay, you know, so these are, uh, whether you are willing to make those accommodation and, and now if pe- people cannot be complaining 100 times i mean people don't complain because you want to have a nice atmosphere that doesn't mean barriers uh, don't exist 
um, pay gap, uh, pay gap uh, we already talked about, right? But in, uh, in other, like, whether there's multiple resources, are you getting, uh, there is a multiple, you know, mentoring, are you having that? Um, you know, you should not say that women are good in everything, but they are good in some things. Uh, is uh, Are they recognizing they are good in X and they are uh, training them for next stage? Those things probably, you know, they don't, they don't take place as much. So these are, you know, uh, barriers. And then you kind of you learn to live with, I suppose. Okay, and um, so coming back to so so again uh, barriers and um, uh, women in positions uh, more at the administrative level. So what so what are some of the barriers at the so you talk about the glass ceiling. So you're also talking about women are able to break the glass ceiling. So can you give us some examples of that and. Um, how they are able to do so, uh, some advice for our um, uh, women listeners here, and also um, what are some of the barriers in place at the administrative level that women have to overcome in order to get to that uh, higher level? Look, women have to, uh, what do they have to do? Um, well, they have to be good, technically. Okay. Uh, they try very hard to be better than men, at least if they want to climb. Uh, um, there are multiple mistakes made by men might be ignored. Uh, fewer mistakes made by women will not be ignored. They will be noticed. You know, these are like, uh, like uh, small, small things which take place uh, on day-to-day -day work. Uh, what women need to do, I, I don't know what advice I would have um, other than uh, we live in a very uh, diverse kind of uh, situation. I think you have to find someone. Um, you have to find someone uh, who's willing to appreciate you, you know, and uh, it's, it's almost... And I think you would be able to find that um, because not everyone is going to be at the same level, you know, I mean, uh, so you have to be good at what you do and you have to find if you are having a problem with your immediate uh, supervisor, you want to make sure there are other people who, who appreciate your work. Um, there are, you know, there is um, literature which uh, talks about uh, networking that uh, you, uh, there should be like women uh, groups and uh, kind of a support they provide, uh, kind of things they talk, uh, which, which would uh, tell them that it is not only uh, uh, their problem, it is like a group problem. <laughs> 
and, and so these support groups are very, very, uh, um, um, I don't want to say a support group, but mentoring networks for women, they are su supposedly very helpful. Mm -hmm. Things which you don't get um, uh, within organization, you can get that kind of help, that kind of training, you can, you know, you can get from them. Yeah, okay. Um, and me and Jessica, any more questions? If not, we'll, I guess we'll finish it off. I do have one final question. Go ahead. Um, Professor, would you happen to know the concept of a glass cliff? Oh, uh, okay, so, Glass cliff is something like when uh, when women are promoted to a position. Uh, glass cliff, you know, you are promoting women to be at top. When you know chances are very high, they may fail. Not all of them, but some may fail, but chances are very, very high. And uh, women are kind of desperate because they have not have had opportunities. They take these challenging positions. Uh, some some do succeed, but many don't. And and then it becomes for people to say, "Well, look, I told you, women are not capable. I promoted. Did you promote the right person?" Or did you promote a person in the right situation? So it's, it's very risky things. And I admire women who take these risky positions. You know, um, some time ago, I read this uh, example of uh, a store I used to go. JC Penny. Yeah, uh, I think it's also here. Uh, I think it's American, like uh, Macy's and like Eaton's, you know, in Canada. It's equivalent to like Eaton or uh, Bay store. Mm -hmm. So JC Penny, uh, and I think they were going to get bankrupt. They were in debt. So at that point, they brought in women to deal with the problem. Uh, and that probably did not go well. But another, uh, you know, uh, example I could give you is of Xerox. Uh, they were in a very bad situation. They were in debt and they brought in women. Uh, it's about 10, 15 years ago. And uh, they, this woman managed things very nicely, was able to make Xerox come back on its own feet. So, but, you know, so there are exceptions, but majority of time you will see that, you know, women are promoted. I mean, women should be promoted. There should not be glass ceiling. If you are doing normal, normal thing, they will be promoted, right? But uh, when, when things don't go well, and then you suddenly put women in a top position, and uh, if they fail, then, uh, you know, they, it's a risky situation. When they fail, uh, there are two things that uh, it's like all women, you know, that supports that notion that women can't handle, as well as no one pays attention that uh, it was a bad situation to begin with. 
Well, 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 perfect. Thank you, Professor Rama, for all your answers. And uh, I think it's been quite a long interview, so I guess we'll finish it off here. Uh, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you to our listeners for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description, depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Jessica. And the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers!